Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello, Happy New Year and welcome to episode 203 of Dogcast Radio, which is an in-depth interview with Steve Mann about how we can live happily with our dogs, especially when they're puppies. There's also the Dogcast Radio News, and I'll be telling you what I've learned recently from writing articles about dog training and the great advice I've picked up, which has revolutionised what I do with mischief. But let's dive in with the experienced trainer, Steve Mann, who runs the Institute of Modern Dog Trainers, helps celebrities with their dogs, and has a book published next month called Easy Peasy Puppy Squeezy. Hi Steve, how are you? Um, I'm very good, thanks Billy. You good? Yeah, excellent. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to picking your brains and learning what you can teach me. So we're going to talk, first of all, we're think, think puppies. And that's, that's a time when you have your puppy. It's a time when you, you should aim, at least, to get everything as right as you can. And so what can you tell us? Because there's, there's problem areas, aren't there? How do you get things like a good recall? Because that's always tricky, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, recall, it, it's certainly a pinch point, so we say, of most uh, most owners and certainly most new owners. I think, yeah, I mean, maybe look at it, maybe look at it the other way around. So rather than how do you get a good recall, it, I would look at a relationship and say, how would you, what, what's the best fist you can make to, to have a dog that doesn't want to run away from you in the first place? Yeah. So you know, a lot of people start their recall by the dog being 50 metres away and then calling the dog, where you're going to be better starting your recall training two or three foot around you and, and just just learning how to play with the dog appropriately and interact with the dog appropriately and um, be the centre of the universe as much as you possibly can. Because if, you're some, if you've got that magnetism to start off with, then it's going to be so much easier when the dog is a distance for you to, uh, yeah, to open the buffet back at you again so the dog knows that the good stuff is at you as opposed to away from you. Yes. And I think in training variety in training as well you know rather than sticking to one exercise or two exercises rather than sticking to recipes if we can get owners to understand the actual ingredients what turns the dog on um the, the active ingredients about why the dog wants to uh, be back with you why the puppy wants to be back come back to you um you can come up with as many different recall exercises as possible and then you've got novelty on your side as well um and the more novel it can be uh the more tied into to you, the dog and puppy's going to be as well. So it's it's about not only the active ingredients rather than kind of repeating the same recipe over and over again. Yes, yeah, and I think as well, you know, going back to what you said about start when they're around you. Most of us would think, well, I don't need to recall them then because they're just around me, and that's such a basic step. If you can't get the puppy to come to you, as you say, when it's like three foot from you, you're not going to get it to come when it's you know thirty foot from you, are you? Yeah, and, and we've all training. What I always talk to, uh, talk to my clients and students is what, you know, it's not, it's not what the cue means to you that's so important. It's what the cue means to, to the dog. And when you say, when I, I say to an owner, what does come mean? They say it means for the dog to run to me. It doesn't, not from the dog's point of view. When the dog hears the word come, it means something good is back at Steve. Yes. That's, that's what it means. So the fact that the dog has to move from A to B to get to something good at Steve, that's that's a freebie. That's just a byproduct of what the cue means to the dog. So I can start my recall training in a phone box. I can just be with my dog and say, come, and then have a party. Come, and yeah. then drop in. Come, and then pull out the toys. That's recall training. Like, you know, 
we don't have to teach a puppy to run. <laughs> that, that, that software is already loaded. What we need to teach is that come means something is good back at the monkey. And once, once two and two have been put together, then the recall, as I say, is purely a byproduct of that. And once you have that foundation, then you just mess about with your three Ds, your distance, your distraction, your duration. So doing it in different places, um, doing it with puppy further distance away from you, uh, so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah. You see, there's another great tip because, you know, a lot of people will say, well, he'll do it in the garden. And then, you know, you're, mm. in, you're in the park. Oh, and suddenly he won't come back. And, and it's like, but why? You know, so, yeah, distraction. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, you know, people kind of know with what I used to call kitchen dogs, where people yes. come to the garden. But it does it in the kitchen. Well, you know, well, where do you practice? In the kitchen. <laughs> you, you, get what, you get what you train for. You know, we get what we breed and we get what we train for. So, um, yeah, setting a nice, broad foundation of environments um, is super, super important. And I think people can sometimes get tied up trying to teach more and more exercises. So they're in that one environment, but they teach seven or eight different exercises. You'll be much better and you'll have a much smoother relationship with the dog if you teach one exercise purely in <laughs> Is that your dog? That's my yeah, that's our puppy. <laughs> um, you'd be much better to, to, to be a master at one exercise in as many different environments. I think um, yeah, it's, it's a Bruce Lee quote, but it's uh, don't fear the man that knows a thousand kicks. Fear the man that's done the same kick a thousand times yes. because it's going to work. You can have faith that that exercise is going to work. Yeah, yeah. Now, just for clarity, we're not mm. advocate we're not advocating kicking in dog training. <laughs> no, no, yeah, that's someone else's mantle. But yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's great advice, and also I think if you can be a bit sneaky with your training, because I remember when I had um, Buddy, my Labrador, when he was fairly young. And recall, you could see him. He he was very good, but he he would when particularly when he was young, till he learned. Okay, I have to come back. I would shout, buddy, you know. Which again, I've learned since then. I shouldn't have just gone, buddy. I should have you know made a noise and distracted him, and then used his name. But anyway, um, and so I'd shout, buddy, and he'd look at me and I'd come, and and he, you could see him weighing up and looking and going, yeah, I can cover that distance faster than you can. You're not going to get to me. I'm going to leg it. So somebody said to me blow a whistle when you feed him for a, for a week. So I did. Yeah. And then when I blew the whistle, and, and, and I, I, I also blew the whistle in the house and just gave him treats and stuff. But then when we were in the garden and then again moving out to the park and more interesting places, when I blew the whistle, he'd be running back to me and his ears would be flapping as he ran and you could see him thinking, why am I doing this? But it, yeah. didn't, you know, it didn't matter. He was doing it. He was coming back. Yeah. And, and that's a really good point because I think a lot of people – Okay, so when we look at dog training and, and the science of dog training, why animals behave, how they behave, um, particularly in dog training, people will look at, uh, at what's called the, the operant side of things, the skinnerian side of things, and that's the dog doing behaviours because like, because of a particular consequence. Yeah. Um, and that's when you get a dog where you give the cue and a dog says, well, if I do, I'll get this, but if I don't, I can go and do that. Whereas what you've done by, by conditioning the whistle, pairing the whistle with something fantastic, whistle food, whistle food, whistle food, then you're going a, a much shorter circuit, which is more Pavlovian classical conditioning, where it's you're almost getting a reflex. So it's like me poking you in the back. If I poke you in the back, you don't go, I wonder who that is. I'll turn around and look. You can't help yourself but turn around and look. And that's a more um, reflex-type behaviour. And by pairing a whistle 
you're going to get that more reflex, sharper classical conditioning response. Um, and the re- again, the recall will just sit on that. Um, we'll, we'll just piggyback on top of that. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, pair, pairing your cue, and the cue is the whistle in your example, pairing the cue with something good is a great start point. The dog being 50 metres away with their head down the rabbit hole is a terrible start point. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you've got to set yourself and the dog up to succeed, haven't you? And I think, you know, the more trainers I talk to and the more, you know, brains I pick and the more I get to understand, it's great and it works. That's the thing, because I then try this all out with my dog and every dog we've had, you know, I it's been their training has been better, if you like, more effective because, you know, we've known what we're doing more. Of course, and, and you know, and, and we should all evolve um, as individuals. And and, and behaviour science is evolving all the time, um, and our application of that is evolving all the time. And and so it should. You know, when when I hear a dog trainer say, so "I've been training dogs for thirty years," that's that's no good if they've just been repeating that same first year thirty times in a row. Yes. You know, it it, it we we have to keep pushing and evolving and. I like to be in a position where I look back at my career five years ago and I go, oh, my God, I wouldn't have done it that way now. <laughs> and yeah. and you know, for, some, for some people, that's frightening. For me, I find that really exciting because I'm always going to learn. I'm always going to have an opportunity to develop. And, um, and, and I hope in time I'll look back at this conversation and I'll say, <laughs> oh, my God, what did I say to Julie? <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's sounding like we need to do another interview in a year's time, Steve. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) All right. So another really difficult area, and I struggled with this, my goodness, is loose lead walking. So what what's your advice for for that with particularly with puppy walkers, but with you know, for puppy owners, but for anybody, what how do we get a a good loose lead walk? So so for loose lead walking, I think again, um what does it mean to the dog? And, and, you know, for us, it's going to be, well, we're walking along and the lead is nice and slack and, yeah, there's no pulling, etc. For the dog, it means I'm walking along, there's no tension on my on my collar or harness um, and something good is happening. So, again, a lot of training for loose lead walking, people start off walking and then trying to get the behaviour to reinforce it. And that's fine and that's good and they're looking to use positive reinforcement. However... Starting point would be, does a dog pay attention to you when you're stationary, when they're stationary? That's the foundation. Because if the dog isn't checking in with you when you're both stood still, pound to a penny ain't going to check in with you when you're on the move. Because when you're on the move, there's a whole conveyor belt of sights and sounds and smells and interesting things competing with your attention um, as far as the dog's concerned. So first step, in fact, before I can, not the first step, but first step in walking is the dog checking in with you stationary. And when a dog checks in with you stationary, reinforce it. They check in with you stationary, reinforce it. Because if they're looking at you, they can't be pulling. It's impossible. Unless they're walking backwards, I guess. But if they're looking at you, they can't be pulling. So if they look at you stationary, brilliant. Once they're looking at you frequently, then you can start doing little pigeon steps, side steps, walking backwards, walking forwards, short little sessions. Of course, the lead will maintain slack if the dog is checking in with you frequently. And then you just take it on the road, literally. So you start, you know, bigger steps, longer duration, further distance, um, but maintain the dog checking in with you um, as you move. Um, 
And also, if the dog wants to go to the park, if the dog wants to go and sniff in that corner over there, if the dog wants to go and play with the doggy buddies, all of these are potential reinforcers. It doesn't always have to be your treats and your tennis balls, etc. Um, you know, get to the park. Your dog can see the doggy pals over in the far corner. Your dog wants to go over and play with them. But when they check, when your dog checks in with you, good. Off you go and then let them go and play. So use the environment, use the world around you to reinforce the behaviours that you want. Yeah. Um, and that, that's a win-win. You're both happy. You're avoiding conflict and you're getting the behaviours that you want. Yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant advice. You know, um, it, you know the other thing you're talking about, sort of motivation, and there's a variety of things that you can use. One yeah. of the things that's um, changed, well, improved vastly my um, our training is just having some treats in your pocket. Because one of the things I think we all, well, a lot of us suffer from is you go and train or you, you go out and, you know, either whether that's to a class or you're on the walk or whatever, but you are in training mode and you're teaching. And so you're aware of what you're doing. And then you get back in the house and you're just bringing your tea in with you or you're watching television or whatever. And you want the dog to do something or the dog does something good. So you can just reward it straight away. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's really revolutionized my training life that has just having treats with me. Well, exactly. I mean, it, you know, if <laughs> one of the things I used to be taught was any time you spend with your dog, one of you is training the other. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's true. And and training doesn't just happen on a Thursday night between seven and eight in the village hall. Yeah. You know, if, if your dog is awake, your dog is learning. The mm. same as us. You know, we're surrounded by experiences. We're surrounded by consequences. So, and, and dogs are behavior machines. So if you happen to see the behavior that you want, or you offer a behaviour and it occurs, yeah, if you want it to occur in the future, make sure you reinforce it. What gets reinforced um, is going to be repeated. <laughs> what gets treated gets repeated. Oh, I like that, yes. It's true. It's mm-hmm. the same for us and, uh, as dogs. They're no different. Yeah, yeah. No, but it really has because, uh, the well, she's, I suppose she's not really a puppy anymore, but our dog, um, and as, as I say, it's my daughter, Jenny's dog, but she's yeah. eight, 18 months. And we keep saying to each other, she's doing things now that Buddy and Star didn't do at her age. And I know it's not that they couldn't have done. It's that we didn't know how to encourage them to do that. But because we've had these, particularly recently, only in the last, I don't know, couple of months, I've done this, you know, have a pocket full of treats. And so now um, we, we've recently, for, for personal reasons, we've had to go and stay with my mum. So my the dog now, Mischief, has access to stairs where in our house she doesn't have stairs and she finds them fascinating and she'll pop up them you know and she's a tiny dog and she gets up to the first landing and she looks at you and you just go come down and because she knows because we've been operating this system of rewarding she's like yeah okay so there's she knows there's a world of interesting things upstairs but she knows you know she knows there's a pocket full of treats so down she comes and she looks at you and she's wagging her tail licking her lips and you know she wants to do what we tell her now it's brilliant Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, a, a cue, a command, it, 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 it should be seen by the dog as an opportunity. Yes, um, and yeah. and that, sounds, that sounds like you've got that condition, because if she's doing the behaviour and licking her lips, then obviously yes. the, that internal wiring knows that the, uh, the good stuff is just around the corner. Yeah. yeah. Do you yeah. know, the, the first time she did that, because it's all learning and you've got to get it straight in your head. The first time she, I don't know, we were in the kitchen and I dropped some food and I said, oh, no, leave, leave. And she just turned to me and licked her lips. And to begin with, I thought, oh, no, what have I done? I've t- taught her that leave means, you know, food. And then I thought, no, 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 that's a good thing. So she comes to me for the nice thing rather than I'll go and investigate, you know, whatever it is on the floor. And I thought, no, I've done it right. But again, you, you, you need to 
get that straight in your head and and recognize that you've done something right yeah you know? yeah um always always go back to what does it mean to the dog so if you say leave and she looks at you happy days yes yeah yeah <laughs> now and another thing that and again this is something that you know, I we've we've worked on sort of three dogs. We've got them to a good standard, but I'm I'm now at the point where I'm thinking of having you know another puppy this year, and and I'm looking oh. ahead, you know, with 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 excitement, but with a bit of trepidation, thinking, oh, I won't be able to do it. How am I going to do it with another dog? And one of the things that I find is, you know, you mentioned manners, and it's that conveying to the dog in a nice way, you know. This is what's acceptable here. This is what we don't really like. Can you do that? It's that for me. That's and and yet they do pick it up if you get it right. But it's it is quite a daunting thing, isn't it? Yeah, and, and the whole manners thing is is an interesting one because um, when I talk to um, I mean prospective owners or uh, new owners and I ask what do they want from their dog, what do they want from their puppy? Yeah, it will be recall. It will be sit. Um, and then it will be this this very vague um, term, doggy manners. <laughs> and when I ask, when I explore a little bit further, you know, what 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 the manners mean to you, it tends to be a list of stuff that they don't want the dogs to do. So, you know, manners seems to be uh, don't bite my hand, don't jump up at people, um, that kind of stuff. Mm. So, again, it's to deal with the manners i i never teach a dog not to do anything i don't think i've ever taught a dog not to do anything what i have done though is if there's an unwanted behavior occurring i've taught the dog what to do instead yeah so as far as any kind of unwanted behaviors um and let's call that bad manners um to make it a bit anthropomorphic from the dog what we've always got to ask ourselves is what what do we what do we want instead and then and then control the environment set up uh, and when a dog does that, what we call a mutually exclusive behaviour, heavily reinforce that in that scenario. Yeah. So a mutually exclusive behaviour is just a behaviour that if the dog is doing that one, they can't do the unwanted one at the same time. So I don't want the puppy to wee on the carpet. Cool. Where do you want puppy to wee? And let's start reinforcing that. I don't want puppy to jump up at visitors at the front door. Cool. What do you want puppy to do? Well, let's have him put his bum on the floor. Brilliant. We can start teaching. So we can't really teach the absence of a behaviour, but what we can do is teach an alternative behaviour, heavily reinforce that, and let the dog realise that that's the behaviour that pays dividends. Yes. Now, of course, in the meantime, we need to make sure the unwanted behaviour doesn't get reinforced inadvertently. Um, so control and manage the environment, make sure the unwanted behaviour doesn't get reinforced, and heavily reinforce the behaviour that you do want instead. Sounds easy, you know, <laughs> in a 60 <laughs> but that's essentially what we do that's essentially what dog trainers that's essentially what behaviorists do yeah um um, and on on top of that we need to look at the 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 emotional underlying current but if the dog is being reinforced for doing an alternative behavior then the dog's going to feel good about that reinforcement so therefore the dog's going to start feeling good about that environment so it's all one big ball really it's it's um we, we work on everything holistically if we can yeah yeah Perfect. I mean, brilliant advice, dear. obviously brilliant advice. But I mean, it's it's so it occurs to me, it's so easy to get it wrong with manners because you take the dog to drain, you take the dog for the walk, whatever, you spend some quality time, then you sit down and you, you, you've switched off. And so the dog lies there for a bit and plays with its toys and, you know, does good things, which gets no notice. And then when they start 
chewing something they shouldn't or barking or whatever. That's when you have to switch back on. You go, oh, no. And you jump up and, and the dog goes, oh, so this behavior gets your attention. Right. Got it. I'll do it again. And and it's it's a minefield, isn't it? In that way, you've got to be aware of the signals you're giving to the dog, haven't you? Yeah, exactly. And it's about having your own mindset. I mean, us humans, you know, we're, we're, <laughs> you would think it sometimes, but we're quite good from an evolutionary point of view. And and we are we're hardwired to notice the unwanted stuff. We're hardwired mm. to stuff. We're, we're hardwired to react to that with a lot more um, potency than we are to the good stuff. We assume the good stuff should be a freebie. Uh, and, and, and our job is to deal with the bad stuff. And, yeah, we need to reverse that. But what you'll find is, you know, you talk about having treats in your pocket. Awesome. Why don't you put – you could put 50 treats in your pocket at 8 o'clock in the morning, and each time you see the dog do something good, give them one treat and see how many treats you've got left at the end of the day. Rather than looking at the stuff that you don't want, your job is to look at the stuff that you do want yes. and invest in that. Yeah. Um, you know, if – if there's, if there's enough good stuff occurring, that's going to feel that's going to feel the dog's day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you can just bypass the unwanted behaviour, and and you know sometimes it goes wrong, and 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 you know it's kind of the rule of the duck. If 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 it walks like a duck and sounds like a duck and looks like a duck, chances are it's a duck, and it's going to behave like a duck. And it's the same with puppies. So really, if you don't want a little thing that's going to pee and bite and make noise don't get the puppy good you know you're in the, <laughs> you're in the wrong game that's yes. part of the process and that's you know that's that's life with a puppy yeah they don't they don't come out of the packet with all the software uploaded that's no. kind of that's our job and if and if you don't want to go there that's fine um don't go there because it is a commitment emotionally financially physically <laughs> it oh, will yeah. dictate everything you have dogs in your life you, know, you have three to four dogs in your life. It's going to dictate the job that you do. It's going to dictate the clothes that you wear. It's going to dictate the money that you spend. It's going to dictate the car that you drive, the holidays you take or not, the friends that you hang out with. It's such a huge, huge, huge influence on your life, and that needs to that needs to um, be ingrained into prospective owners, yes. ideally before they get the pup. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, yeah, the horse is bolted by the time you go and look at Lisa. Oh, yes, because you ain't going home without one if they're ready, are you? No, I know what you mean. Yes. Don't. We've always, when we go and meet breeders, first of all, um, we always say, do you have puppies? We don't want to see them. And we always try and find a breed that doesn't have puppies. Or we say, we definitely say, we don't want to see them. We want to see you talk to you. We want to see your dogs. But we don't want to see puppies because, you you know, once you see those little eyes and waggy little tails and little tummies, you're not going to say, no, no, thank you. It's not for me. <laughs> you know? You're dead in the water. Yeah, there's there's never a, a, a less true phrase ever said than someone going to look at a litter saying, oh, no, I'm just going to go and have a look. Yes. You know, as soon as you've said those words, the deal is done. Yes. Yeah. No, you have to be very, uh, very hard with yourself at that point. But I think, you know, it, it is difficult. You know, it's incredibly difficult having a puppy. And, you know, I waited a long time to have my first puppy. And within 10 days, I was thinking, what have I done? What have I done? You know, I want to I want to go back because I couldn't really say to my husband, what have I done? Because, you know, I'd, I'd campaigned for a puppy. And so, if it, you know, I had to, you know, get through it. But I think as well, if you put that hard working you know if you do all the thinking and if you do all the right things and you, if you find that energy and and forge that relationship with the with the puppy you know like the child is father of the man 
then I think the puppy is father of the, the dog because you get the dog you, you wanted, don't you? A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, what, what you're getting, you will, you will get out a hundred percent. And I, <laughs> I, I like toilet training. I like <laughs> play biting. I like all that stuff. You know, what, what, what a treat, what a gift to be able to, to invest in someone else's, in another animal's life like that. Um, and, and influence another animal's life like that. And, and complement another animal's life. And, and because the reason we have dogs is to, to complement our life. You know, none of us, it's not an altruistic move. Even, you know, if we take on a rescue dog or we work for rescue, we're getting something from it. So, you know, the, the name of the game is that we can complement that dog's life and that dog can complement our life. You know, every, everything else on top of that is just gravy, really. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Well, you obviously do love puppy training and i mean dog training in general but puppy training because you love it so much you've written a book about it haven't you so that if people are listening going well that's great so far but i want to know more they can get your book can't they yeah they certainly yeah they better <laughs> uh, i've got to the last 30 years um, yeah it's uh yeah so easy peasy puppy squeezy it's the name of the book and it's available for pre-order now from amazon yeah that was an amazing project i loved i loved doing um every minute of that uh, and it come about really. Be- I was on. I do a, a show with Lorraine uh, called Lorraine. Uh, only dog trainers will know it because it's on during the day. Um, <laughs> it's um, a show with Lorraine Kelly. And the last time I was on that, uh, when I got home, I had an email from a guy saying um, he worked in publishing. He's just got a puppy. Um, he said you seem to know what you're talking about. <laughs> he said uh, so. I wanted to go and buy your book, and he, he said I. Um, I couldn't find your book. So two questions. He says, do you have a book? If if so, great. Where do I find it? And if you don't have a book, you need to do a book. That was exciting. So I met up with him, met up with the publishing company. And, yeah, just got my head down and bum up and um, and wrote it, really. And it was um, it was great because I cover all, all, all the vitals, all the vital exercises, all the important exercises, the core of everything, really, I think, with owning a puppy. And also the, the potential problems and pitfalls, like toilet training and play biting. I got through a little bit about my story and how I got into dog training, which is lovely for the ego. And then um, a few, a good few stories with <laughs> some celebrity stories because I've I've done a few, a few bits of TV and worked trained various celebrities with the dogs. So um, yeah, so we got some nice little case studies and anecdotes in there as well. So yeah, it's a real, it's a, it was it was lovely to do and. Um, yeah, hopefully. It's a bit kind of Schrodinger's cat now. I don't know whether it's good, bad or indifferent, but it's not out, you know, it's out <laughs> time. And um, I really like it. I So as far as I'm concerned, it's done its job because I like it. I'm proud of it. And I love the process. Yeah, uh, yeah. And now I'm just a little bit excited, stroke nervous that um, other people enjoy it and like it as well. But it's not, you know, it's it's called Easy Peasy Puppy Squeezy, but it's for, it, it, it covers everything everyone with any dog so you know if people have got an older dog or people are taking on rescue dogs there's still tons of nourishment in the book for those guys as well yeah yeah now we've touched on some of the science involved but i know you know the book it is and and your method is science-based so and and sort of ethical why is that important steve you know um for people listening who think, well, I shout at my dog and it does it. Why do I need to change my methods? Why is it important that we do, you know, use these science-based and ethical approaches? Um, so, I mean, I, th- I think it's essential and I think it's two different. I, 
it's two different answers for one for the science, one for the ethics. Mm-hmm. The science side of things is because it works. It's it's the most efficient way, and it's and and like I say, it's what's valuable is that you do um, a method that works. What's even more valuable that you understand why it works. Because if you understand the dog is doing it because he feels good about doing the exercise, or the dog is doing it because he's afraid of the consequence if he doesn't, that's two very different emotional states. Mm-hmm. On the face of it, the behaviour may well look the same. The, the body language might be a little bit icky um, for the one that's doing it to avoid the bad stuff. But on top of training, on top of behaviour, relationship trumps all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because... First and foremost, your, your puppy, the investment in your puppy, the investment in your dog, is that your mates? Because yes. if, you, yeah. if your mates, if you if your mates, <laughs> if you're walking down the park with your mate, your actual mate, your human mate, they're not going to be a hundred meters away looking <laughs> for our action. They're going to be next to you, hanging out, having some of a conversation with you. That's what it should be with your dog. Um, and if you've got that, then you don't. You'll never have a recall problem. You'll never have a loose lead problem you'll never have a running off and getting into trouble with other dogs problem um so so from a science point of view because why wouldn't you if it works and it's the most effective official way to train an animal then use it uh, and know why it works from an ethical point of view they're our friends we invite them into our house you know it's 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 our responsibility to treat them well to treat them nicely and also if if you spend a day with a dog training and if you decide to look and reinforce the behaviors that you do want or if you look to address and correct the behaviors that you don't want if you spend a day doing the positive stuff reinforcing what you do want you personally yourself will be in a much nicer happier frame of mind at the end of the day because you you have seen a hundred wonderful things from your dog and your dog will have received a hundred wonderful things from you Mm. Whereas if your if your uh, mindset is on corrections, then you will have seen a hundred things from your dog that aren't that you're not happy with, and your dog will have received a hundred things from you that he didn't like. Yes. Who's going to want to curl up on the couch next to each other? You know, between those pair, it's you know, it's it seems so obvious to me, and it's and 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 living with a dog and training a dog should always be you with the dog. It should never be you versus the dog. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and as a kid, I, <laughs> I never had a dog as a kid, um, which I think made me even more passionate about it because yeah. it was so weird. But I still used to go to dog training schools like a little weird kid. I used to borrow a dog or I used to nick a dog off the street or, or I used to turn up without a dog. But I would still go to dog training classes left, right, right and centre. And, and I'm talking 30 years ago. And stuff I used to hear, and it was all with the right intentions, but the trainers, I would hear things like, oh, don't let him get away with that. You know, and it's or just just a, a mindset where it's the owner versus the dog. Yes, yeah. And that's good. That's, that's, that's not friendship. That's not – it's a relationship, but it's not a healthy relationship. Yeah. Um, that's, why, that's why ethics are important for, for both parties, not just the dog, but for you, you yourself as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you've you've expressed that brilliantly. And I love that, you know, how you spend the day training 
effects whether they want to come and curl up on the sofa with you and i think that's brilliantly put and that's you know that's why we have them we love them you don't think oh i don't really dogs i don't really like dogs i'll have one you know you think i love dogs and i want one in my life and like you say you know you and me were both you know sad deprived children <laughs> i didn't have a dog either and i yeah i think you're right that when you've yearned for a dog and you you weren't allowed one you know and it, not just by circumstance by your your parents you know, you you know you can so you could have had a dog but no you can't we're going to choose that you can't i think that really makes you determined that you are going to have a dog in your life and more than that you're going to make the dog's life good it's not just what can that dog do for you it's what can you do for that dog isn't it 100% 100% because yeah it, it goes around in a circle and and yeah, if, if you do something nice it makes you feel good yes you know if you forget about dogs for the moment you give you get someone a wonderful present you think they're going to love this it's going to make you feel good and when you give it to them it's going to make you feel good it's going to make them feel good that's you know that's the root surely yeah <laughs> surely that's, that's absolutely yeah absolutely now when someone listens to your advice or buys your book you know or sees you on a television program they are getting as you, as you say over 30 years of experience and you trained over a hundred thousand dogs i mean you you have already had a brilliant career so far haven't you yeah still getting away with it yeah still, <laughs> i still i've still not had to get a real job as my mum was saying. Yes. so yeah long, long may it last we're only just beginning <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Tell me some of the the TV shows you've done. Yeah, sure. I, I guess the first biggie one that I did. Well, I used to I used to supply um, dogs for various TV shows. I, the very first one I did was a uh, Big Brother's Little Brother with Dermot O'Leary. Mm. Um, I had a few dogs on that. Um, the big kind of training show that I did first was called the Underdog Show. That was a live TV show on BBC. Uh, the first series, Julian Clary was the presenter. Yes. yes. And, 12 years ago now i think um and uh it, it was yeah take 10 dogs from the dogs trust take 10 celebrities 10 dog trainers and then it was a live audience show where there was challenges each week and kind of agility courses and, and that kind of thing and then the usual format someone would it was a public vote someone would leave each week um and i was lucky to be the winning trainer uh with selena scott and the dog called chump mm, and that, that Wonderful, and 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 to be honest, that came at the right time for my career as well. I think. Then there was a second series. I was a judge on the second series of the Underdog Show. Um, I, I I did various kind of dog expert kind of guests um, things. So I, I, I a BBC Breakfast a good few times. Ryan Kelly show a couple of times. I'm on that in a couple of weeks' time as well uh, <laughs> with the book. Yeah, so lots of bits and pieces in between, and I've been lucky to train um, people like Graham Norton. Um, Brian Blessed, Theo Walcott, um, footballer. Um, I trained a guy out of Prodigy last week. Uh, oh, with wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's what, there's no two days the same, which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm just thinking with Brian Blessed, who's a glorious, you know, actor and, and, and a, a big man physically and, 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 uh, personality wise, but very, very loud, <laughs> you know, and I'm just imagining you saying, don't shout to Brian Blessing and him going, don't shout. <laughs> it's amazing. I've, I've honestly, and it's not for effect. Yeah. Um, I, I'm really well with him. So I, you know, and, I, and I had lunch a, a good few times with him on set and he's always got a million stories and I'm not sure I believed any of them, but, he, <laughs> but like it or not, he's telling you. Yes, um, yeah. But 
a real animal lover. You yes, know, he is. I remember, he, I remember him telling me the, the, only, <laughs> the only thing he owned was a pair of trousers that he was stood in, but because he said all his money gets spent on these animals. So oh. it, he has lots of ducks and geese and chickens and I think he has some sheep and goats and but all all rescue animals and 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 he's he's passionate about them so um so yeah a great uh, an amazing character amazing he's lived he's lived a hundred lives that man <laughs> yeah yeah no so you've up till now it's been going brilliantly have you got sort of anything planned for the rest of 2019 uh, yes, in the pipeline, yeah. So, so with the Institute of Modern Dog Trainers, the IMDT, so we're we're, uh, we're the main body really for dog trainers and behaviourists, and and that's fantastic. So we we do courses and seminars um, almost every day. Um, we do a lot of stuff in in throughout England, Scotland, Ireland. We do stuff in Europe. Um, we've got courses going on this week. In fact, this coming weekend in Australia. Uh, we've got trainers out there instructing other trainers in Australia. I'm off to um, the really exciting one for me is I'm off to Shanghai in a couple of weeks' time, three weeks' time, wow. because we're setting up um, INDT colleges um, out there, and that's a massive project. You know, I, I love what we do over here, and I'm passionate about what we do over here, and it runs beautifully <laughs> without me sticking my nose in it. <laughs> so I need to go and cause trouble elsewhere, and we're better than China. So we started from a blank a blank slate, really. Um, setting up has been going on for about 18 months. Everything's been rubber stamped now. Um, we've physically got um, – it's not like we're going in and renting venues. We've, we've physically got bricks and mortar. College, first college is built, a view to another. Four colleges built within the next 18 months following on from that um, and then going throughout China. But it's – it's not just dog training, it's it's animal welfare. Um, we're kickstarting the, a grooming side of things. And it's really, really exciting because personally, I like going places where maybe um, <laughs> where maybe they're not renowned for animal welfare because yeah. I think I can make a bigger impression. Yes. Yeah. And and I I I don't think I'm gonna have to undo hundreds of years of um, inappropriate dog training i think i'm just starting from zero i think i'm just starting dog training so these guys aren't going to have cognitive bias they're not going to have to undo what they've learned in the past you know day one of the first course out there um will be the first information they've got about dog training so it's 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 a massive project it's a really exciting project it's it's nicely scary which helps me get um and plan for it and I, I just can't wait to get out to China. Really can't wait. I bet. I bet. I know what you mean by nicely scary. It's sort of comfortably out of your comfort zone. I know what you mean. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll just get. Yeah. I'll just get lazy. You know. So I like. I like. This might work. This might not. Because that's what makes you sit with a straight back and focus. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if it's a walk in the park. Then yeah. You know. It, it, it's yeah. It's not. I'm, I'm, it, it, it's not enough of a passion. So, you know, a passion should make you scary. There should be a little bit of jeopardy and you just burn the boats and kind of go for it. So that's that's what I'm doing with China. Yeah, yeah. But as you say, so much scope to help people, but so many animals, you know, that you can help and, and change and save lives out there. That's brilliant. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. The best of luck with it. Um, 
if people want to find out about you online, and I imagine they will, because it's been fascinating to talk to you, where can they find out more about you online, Steve? Yeah, sure. So, um, so all the information on the courses that we do is um, on the IMDT website. So that's all W's, imdt.uk.com. Um, I've got my own website, which is Steve Mann Dog Training. You don't have to go too. You don't have to look too hard to to be able to find me on Facebook. So um, yeah, yeah, um, I, I, I'm easily found. <laughs> Okie doke. We will put all those links on to make you even easier to find. Okay, and it's been brilliant to talk to you, Steve. Thank you ever so much, and then really the best of luck with China. Awesome. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Julie. How exciting is that? A dog training pioneer blazing a trail in China. I'm looking forward to hearing how that goes. If you'd like to reap the benefit of Steve's advice with your puppy or dog, we have all the links you need on the Dogcast Radio website, including links to Amazon, where you can find more info about Easy Peasy Puppy Squeezy. If you're struggling with any aspect of living with your puppy or dog, get in touch, and we'll get you the advice and answers you need. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www. Dogcastradio.com. Sit is the command most commonly taught to dogs. It's also arguably the easiest and is a great one to start with. And now it's time for the Dogcast Radio news. Is your New Year's resolution to lose weight? Well, why not include your dog in your efforts to improve your diet and take more exercise? Not only is it likely to increase your motivation, it could be adding years to your dog's life. Yes, years. Because according to a new study carried out by the University of Liverpool in England, overweight dogs can live up to two and a half years less than their normal weight counterparts. The study encompassed over fifty thousand dogs from twelve popular breeds. Dachshunds, German Shepherds, Golden Retrievers, Labrador Retrievers, American Cocker Spaniels, Beagles, Boxers, Chihuahuas, Pitbull Terriers, Pomeranians, Shih Tzus and Yorkshire Terriers, using data collected over a 20-year period. Being overweight had more impact on smaller breeds, shortening their lives more in proportion. And for all breeds, it brought higher risks of chronic diseases such as orthopaedic problems, diabetes and certain types of cancer. Plus, it stacked the odds against the dogs when it came to heart disease and high blood pressure, so it sounds like getting more active, i.e. taking more dog walks, is a great idea for us and our dogs. And talking of health, we know dogs are good for us, but specially trained assistance dogs can have a huge effect. Researchers from Bristol University in England have collaborated with Medical Detection Dogs, a charity we love and have featured many times on Dogcast Radio, to investigate how accurately dogs can detect hypoglycemia in individuals with type 1 diabetes. Hypoglycemia is low blood sugar and can cause a loss of consciousness and even seizures if not spotted and addressed. Analyzing 12 weeks' worth of blood sample records of those partnered with a dog trained by medical detection dogs, the study established that the dogs accurately alerted their humans to hypoglycemia 83% of the time. That means that those people had their quality of life improved and the worry of a serious health problem developing lessened. The breeds involved included Labrador Retrievers, Golden Retrievers, Labrador Retriever and Golden Retriever, Cross, Poodle, Collie Cross, Labradoodle, Lurcher, Cocker Spaniel and Yorkshire Terrier. Interestingly, the study discovered that a dog's effectiveness is affected by the strength of the bond between them and their person. Clearly, dogs' strong sense of smell can be put to good use, but one group of people might not be so keen on sniffer dogs. 
Yes, apparently criminals have put a £25,000 bounty on a Springer Spaniel called Scamp, who can sniff out tobacco. In fact, his handler, Stuart Phillips, estimates that Scamp has detected £6 million worth of illegal tobacco in the last five years. And that got right up the noses of the ne'er-do-wells. But to Scamp, it's all just a game, and he thinks he's searching out his toy. And to restore your faith in human nature, here's a story of a community who came together to seek out a lost dog. In Knoxville, Tennessee, Westy Mix Marshall went missing. His owners, Paige and Andy Morgan, put his disappearance online, and their neighbours got together to go out looking for him, and also put live traps around the area. After several days of sub-zero temperatures, the Morgans began to despair for their dog. Then he was discovered in a live trap on a neighbour's porch and returned safely home. And now another positive story. The low number of people fined for not cleaning up their dog's poo in Adelaide, Australia. Oh, it's never long before we start talking poo, is it? But on this occasion, it's well worth talking about. Because apparently in Adelaide, only three fines were handed out from 2016 to 2018, which is great. Clearly, they don't need one of Sony's new camera-equipped IBOs to keep an eye on them. They certainly don't, but with the latest technology installed in the one-foot-tall Robopup, Ivo can now search around your home looking for specific family members to keep an eye on them for you. Owners can be updated via their smartphone. However, the service doesn't come cheap, costing $3,000, that's around £1,500, for a three-year package. But at least you wouldn't have to clean up after them. And speaking of technology, apparently Facebook is a dog's best friend. Well, a rescue dog's best friend anyway. Many animal rescues and shelters said that they couldn't cope without garnering online support and doctors. In fact, a September study by the ASPCA found that 76% of the shelters and rescue organisations surveyed said that their social media use has increased in the last year, with Facebook being cited as the most effective platform for increasing adoptions. 66% said that social media had boosted fundraising levels, and 56% said it's helped them be more successful with placing senior animals or those with special needs. So... There you go. All that time I spend online, I'm not just wasting time, I'm supporting animals in need. You do know that playing Disney emoji doesn't count, don't you? Let's not split hairs. That's all we have time for right now. See you next time on the Dogcast Radio News. Amazingly, dogs are able to smell week-old human fingerprints. When I start talking to people about dogs, which I do often, I'm surprised by how often the subject comes up of dogs who won't learn. As we discuss training and even the simplest of tasks is mentioned, sit, for example, the person says, oh, my dog couldn't do that. If I suggest that, of course, they could, the person often says, oh, no, my dog's stupid. I always wonder exactly what they mean by that. Stupid is one of those loaded words, a word many of us teach our children never to use. But when a person says it of their dog, I don't think it makes them a bad owner, and I don't think it means they don't love their dog. But I do think they underestimate their dog, and I do suspect that communication between them has broken down. It got me thinking, and I ended up writing an article working with owners and trainers, trying to open up communication again and see if the dogs actually could learn. You'll have to get hold of the relevant issue of the magazine Your Dog to find out how things went. But working with those trainers, owners and dogs highlighted for me 
the importance of motivation when it comes to dog training. You really need to find out what motivates your dog and then use that to reward them. It's really handy if your dog is food motivated because you can just give your dog a treat when they do a good thing. But then I realised that when I come home from the walk or training session, I put the treats down and for the most part simply say, good dog, when mischief does something I like. Hmm, a nice tasty treat or a half-hearted, good dog, which is the better motivation? Well, clearly the former. And so, as an experiment, I started carrying treats in my pocket all the time. Each time, Mischief did what I asked of her. Coming to me, sitting down, being quiet, fetching a toy, I gave her a treat. She loved it and became even more eager to please and follow directions than she had been before, and I would have said she was pretty good before. Then something else impinged on my mind. The way we often ignore our dogs when they do something good, lie and play with a toy quietly, for example, only to lavish attention on them when they do something bad jumping up, shouting and waving our arms when they start chewing a treasured possession of ours rather than a toy, for example. In the scenario outlined above, we can be unintentionally reinforcing the behaviour which we don't want, meaning that sadly a vicious cycle occurs in which our dogs misbehave, get our attention and therefore misbehave again, further outraging us, attracting more attention which further reinforces the unwanted behaviour. So now... I started trying to notice when Mischief was being quietly good. So when she sought out a toy and lay and chewed or played with it on her own, I would say, good dog, and also give her a treat. As I say, she was pretty good already, so I can't say that her behaviour has changed that much in the way of spending time being quietly good, but hopefully I've showed her that I approve and value that behaviour. But when we call her, or ask her to leave an object, or come away from the front door and sit down, she eagerly runs to us and complies in the hope of a treat. And here's the amazing thing. If the treat is not forthcoming, maybe I've run out or forgotten to put them in my pocket, it doesn't seem to discourage her. The next time she receives a command, she's just as willing and enthusiastic to carry it out. Here's how I think of that phenomenon in human terms. Many of us buy a lottery ticket. Eagerly, we check the lottery numbers, hoping for a win. Not many of us ever get a big win, but we occasionally get a small win, and that hit, that reward, if you like, is enough to cause us to repeat the behaviour and buy another ticket, in the hope of winning another reward. Now, hopefully, we reward our dogs more often than we get a lottery win. But do you see what I mean? You don't have to get a reward every time for the beneficial effect. So I'm trying to remember to carry a few treats all the time, and I'd love to hear what result you get if you try it as well, particularly if you've ever said of your dog, oh, he couldn't do that, he's stupid. The first dog who taught me that dogs can rise to the occasion and meet our high expectations, if only we dare to have them, was Buddy. I dreamed of taking him to Crufts, and that mad idea set us on the path to a lot of training, work and fun. And to my amazement, when I gave him the encouragement and space he needed to thrive. He pulled it out of the bag, and he did do it. He was clever. Star, similarly, worked eagerly with Jenny, and together they passed bronze, silver and gold, Kennel Club, Good Citizen Awards. I bet you and your dog could do that. Or you could succeed at another activity, building your bond and having lots of fun as you do so. And little fluffy mischief? Who knows what she'll do? But... 
We are always learning how to help her be the best she can be. And as we both learn, we live in greater harmony and happiness. And surely that's what having a dog is fundamentally about. So never mind catching a falling star and putting it in your pocket. Stuff a handful of treats in your pocket. And before you know it, your dog will be a star pupil. And we'd love to hear and see what you get up to if you do try any of these ideas. When the sleep cycles of dogs have been monitored, they seem to consist of 16 minutes of sleep and 5 minutes of being awake. Do you remember John, Kathy, and Rocky Isles, who got in touch to tell us about their adventures together in episode 184? John and Kathy are Australian, living in the Netherlands, and they discovered Dogcast Radio when they adopted Rocky and sought out online advice. Well, we've kept in touch, and they recently went to see a film called Buddy, which they kindly reviewed for us. Last week, we saw the film Buddy in our local cinema in Delft, the Netherlands. It is a Dutch documentary which follows the lives of six people and their assistance dogs, upon who they truly depend. The six people all have specific challenges in their lives, from an autistic child who has been rejected by his peers, to a woman with severe mobility limitations, to a war veteran with post-traumatic stress disorder. The film shows some of the amazing things these dogs can do, from turning over their owner in bed when they do not have the strength to do so themselves, to pushing the plunger on a syringe to help administer injections. But beyond this, the film focuses on the deep connection between the people and their dogs, and the joy of spending time with each other. A particular moving scene for me was the girl lying in her bed, just enjoying listening to the quiet breathing of her dog as he slept by her side. All of these people suffer social isolation because of their condition, and in each case their loyal buddy stays by their side, not judging, just being there. With my limited Dutch language skills, I could not understand every word that was spoken, but just as it is between a dog and a human, words are not really needed. That was a beautiful review, I think you'll agree. Thanks to John and Kathy, and you can read about their adventures with their lovely rescue dog Rocky at their blog, to which we have a link on the Dogcast Radio site. That's about all we have time for in this episode, so until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on Julie at dogcastradio.com When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What kind of dog chases anything red? A bulldog.